Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Man, oh man, the bleachers are open again. You have no idea what's been going on behind the scenes, but we have been hyperactive. Still have no clue what we're doing, but we keep coming to you. And this is the second time in one week. So maybe we're overachievers. Maybe we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to get in a rhythm. And we are actually in my hotel room. David Tuttle and I. Don't let your imagination go crazy with that. We've already been almost broken in on. And the maids are probably trying to break in and figure out why we're yelling at each other and talking and doing what we're doing. But uh, we're just hanging out. A couple of dudes, a couple of microphones, or like Beck said, two turntables and a microphone, right? We're going to record this podcast. It's going to be a good one. It's been a great week for the Astros. But here sitting in our hotel room, in my hotel room, talking to David Tuttle, I am looking out the window currently. What the hell is going on, dude? Is there is there a potential rain out tonight on Thursday night here in Anaheim? I don't know. I'm not a weatherman. We've talked about this before. I, yes, you I'm, are. You're a ball player. You're a meteorologist. Right. When I played, I was a <laughs> I was a meteorologist. Now that I'm done, I mean, my kids, my wife, they're like, it's going to be 82 today. So I don't think we've had rain though. I think we did discuss this one time. We haven't had rain since the last time the Angels got rained out. So, I mean, what is that, four months ago? I don't know. Yeah, five maybe. Months ago? It, was a, it was a strong drizzle that took care of that ball game. That's right. So today we need a little more action. Uh, it's a little overcast and a little drizzly, but I, I, don't, I don't think we're having a rain out. Pretty funny last night on our broadcast, Tia, TK said that uh, he had heard things have been cooling off in Houston. And uh, we, we proceeded to get worn out because people were sending us, you know, pictures of the weather maps and their, you know, their cars saying it was 94 degrees. You know, that cold front really went through and it's not even fall yet. And somebody actually tweeted at me a pretty clever thing. And I think it was Bobby Dynamite, the guy that runs the train at the stadium. It's not fall, but it's hot. It's not autumn. It's hot. Hot em. I like it. <laughs> Pretty clever stuff. But that's what you do when you're in Houston and you know that you're going to be just in a heat wave for about eight months out of the year. So eventually we'll get some cooler weather. But right now in Anaheim, looking out the window, it's a little sketchy. You guys brought the weather from Seattle. That's all that happened. I mean, we've, we've been 85, 90, sunshine. You guys fly down from Seattle. We get a little drizzle, overcast. Maybe it's the fact that we're in the same room together recording the podcast, which has never happened. There's all kinds of explanations out yeah. there. It's cosmic. But you're right. We did drag down. This is exactly what it looked like in Seattle, just maybe about 15, 20 degrees cooler up there and a little more moist, shall we say? Moist. Yeah, that's going to create a reaction. People love that. We are here in Anaheim. We are doing this podcast. It's going to be a unique one. We wanted to get out on Thursday because Thursday night football is coming up. The Astros are finishing off their season. We're trying to figure out the playoff picture. And college football on Saturday, NFL on Sunday. Fantasy football has been going great for Tuttle and I on our co-GM ball club. So we wanted to talk a little bit more maybe about this betting aspect, what we look at when we're watching some of these games or the potential in some of these games we're going to watch. I'm going to talk all about the California Golden Bears because they have ranked in the top 15 for the first time in what feels like 45 years, which is the last time I was in school. Just kidding. <laughs> That'll give me a sideways look. It's been a great week for us because the website is going really well. Bleacherblums.com. 
you haven't heard about it, go to it, check it out. We've got a shop. There's a couple of T-shirts on there. We've got some things in the works because when the season is over and I have an opportunity to get some of my scorecards out there, maybe some hats, some other swag out there, but people have been doing a very good job of tuning into bleacherblums.com. You can find a little more out about Tuttle. You can find out more about myself, Jeff Blum. You can also tweet at us. Tuttle is on Twitter and Instagram at RealDavidTuttle. I, myself, Jeff Blum, you can reach me at Blummer27. We've actually gotten some pretty good feedback, and I've talked to some fans who are actually a little disappointed that our podcast is only an hour long. So it's good news that we're actually getting some of that interaction and able to get that feedback, so you never know. Some of these might be longer, some might be shorter, but two in one week is a big deal for us, Tuttle. Yeah, and I think today's will definitely be shorter. Uh, we got to figure out this sound thing. I'm, I'm reading uh, an email from James saying, hey, when you guys are in the same room, be aware that your mics are going to pick each other up. So uh, that's more work for James, not as much work for us. So all right. That's exactly right. <laughs> we'll throw it on him. Love you, James. Yeah, thanks, James. You and I have talked about this before because a podcast is obviously free-flowing, open format. And it's kind of, is there a right answer to that? I mean, I think a lot of people, I've talked to some people that really get into the baseball and the analytics. And they're like, all right, I wish you guys would just focus on the Astros and talk about, you know, the nitty gritty, like, you know, who ties their shoes, how, and, you know, when the games are going to come out. And then other people really like, obviously, the different segments, but hearing about our personal lives and how our daily lives interact with sports and fantasy football and the kind of the broader spectrum. And then also the time. Somebody was saying, I think, on Twitter the other day about audiobooks. They're done with their book and you know they they had a flight or something like that and they were hoping that the podcast was longer we're def- we're definitely open to different ideas and different thoughts about what where this should go like i said some people are probably eager to hear what we have to say and some people are like eh. but that's the freedom that we have in this podcast format yeah we're going to keep cranking them out because the responses have been good indifferent otherwise enjoying not enjoying we we love all the feedback keep it clean keep it real you can reach us on our website like i said there's actually a mailbag where you can leave some comments comments or some ideas for potential podcast topics because getting into the playoffs we're gonna have plenty to talk about the NFL is going on Uh, but just some quick notes on the Houston Astros and what they've done in the last couple of days since our last podcast is pretty impressive their magic number for the best record in baseball I believe is at one so once they get that best record in all of baseball they will have home field advantage all the way through the playoffs through the World Series so that means a lot of baseball at home for Astro fans in Minute Maid Park where the Astros have been dominant 60 wins this season at Minute Maid Park bodes well for them going into the playoffs and it also bodes well for the fans we want to give the fans in Minute Maid Park as much entertainment as they possibly can win last night was 104 wins which was a franchise record they have four more games to continue to set that record who knows maybe they get to 105 106 before the end of the season and it's all said and done it was a unique series in Seattle with Granke almost throwing a no hitter last night a lot of controversy around that on how people handle those no no's and we've had plenty of chatter on our podcast you can go back in the archives and listen to some of that because we have ideas on that and we handle it our own way Cole in that first game setting a franchise record for uh, strikeouts in a season, surpassing J.R. Richards. He's going to have one more start before the end of the season. And, of course, that leads into the Cy Young Award. And how about right now with Tuttle in the room, we put him on the spot because this is a question I get all the time, and it would take something miraculous for it to be a co-Cy Young. But right now, before the last start of the season for both Verlander and Cole, who is your Cy Young? Garrett Cole. Wow. Didn't even hesitate. Why didn't you hesitate? Because you said you were going to put me on the spot, so I had 30 seconds to think about it. 
And what what changed your what made your uh, what made your pick be Garrett Cole? The strikeouts actually for me. I don't know why. Just the strikeouts are impressive. I mean, he, so he's got 300 strikeouts, he, and he hasn't reached 200 innings yet. Yeah, he's just he actually is at 315 or 316, and he just got over 206. But I want to put. But he, he had 300 strikeouts yes. before he reached 200 innings. Correct. And I want to put this in perspective because I had to look it up. You know, because immediately you look at the strikeout number and you say, okay, J.R. Richards had 313. You're like, damn, that is a hell of a season. And then you see Garrett Cole going for that, trying to match him, and you say, okay, that's pretty pretty awesome. I looked up J.R. Richard that year. He threw 292-plus innings. Garrett Cole is now sitting at about – he broke the record at 206 and a third. And I believe at strikeouts per nine, J.R. Richards was at 9.8 per nine innings. And I think – I'm almost positive that right now Garrett Cole is sitting at 13.72. So that's where it kind of puts it in perspective and explains a lot of the dominance that I think Tuttle is pointing to with Garrett Cole. Absolutely. And I think it's it's really it's a little counterintuitive to think of it this way, but we keep talking about the baseballs and you know they're harder and they're traveling farther and the seams are lower. It's amazing that it's turned into a home run and strikeout game. I mean, it's it's a lot of people think baseball's boring these days because there's strategy and there's downtime. There's all kinds of but obviously chicks dig the long ball, but they also dig the strikeout and the arms are stronger. Guys are trying to obviously adapt by hitting the long ball. So their swings are, you know, they're not choking up and trying to drive the ball the other way like we've seen in the past. But it is amazing. Some of the numbers, just the J.R. Richards numbers, incredible. 290 innings get 313 strikeouts, which Anytime you have a more than a strikeout an inning, I mean, that used to be kind of, especially as a reliever, that was like, all right, he's dominating. Three to one strikeout to walk ratio, more than a strikeout per inning. Garrett Cole had 300 strikeouts before he got to 200 innings. Like, put that in perspective. That is nuts. That's my Cy Young Award winner. It is nuts. And it, with him going six-plus shutout innings in that ball game against the Seattle Mariners, he actually takes over the ERA lead. So I think that's another one of those old-school uh, stats that people will look to and say, oh, that's why he's going to he's gonna qualify. So I think that was a big milestone for him to get to. But again, one more start for Verlander, one more start for Garrett Cole, and a lot of it's on A.J. Hinch. How far does he let those guys go? Because in order to qualify for a win which obviously Verlander and Cole want to qualify for because Verlander will be at 21 if he wins Garrett Cole will get to that uh, threshold of 20 wins and would give the Astros two pitchers in the rotation with 20 win seasons which would be remarkable too so at least five innings out of those two guys but I wonder if the situation arises like we saw with Zach Granke what if Cole has no hitter through five what if uh, Verlander has another no hitter through five how far do you let those go because you want to be able to monitor those innings pitched and those numbers of pitches thrown because those are your one twos when you start that American League Division Series. Well, we talked about this a little bit off uh, air prior to the podcast, and I think it's funny. I don't think you change that at all. I mean, I'm not saying A.J. Hinch would, but if you're five innings, you have no hits, you're, you're throwing every fifth day, you're in a routine, you've got good things going for you, positivity, whatever it is, you do not want to take them out and say, all right, well, we're going to save you for the first game of the ALDS. You know, it just doesn't, I don't think that works well from a mental standpoint because although, I mean, I get it. If something happened or if you overextended them, the point I was going to make that we talked about prior to the podcast was really with the relievers. Why do relievers seem 
seem to have um, some more struggles in the postseason versus starters. But I think, I guess you can do three days rest for some of the starters, but typically they stay in their same routine. They have a side day and they have their start and they, you know, they just kind of get geared up. Whereas the bullpen is, you know, all hands on deck every single game. We're going to do whatever we can do. So I think even though we're closing out the season here in Anaheim, and the Astros are headed towards the playoffs. My own personal opinion, if Cole has a no-hitter through five or six, then you're just going to let him go, let him finish it out. It would be interesting if it actually gets to that point, but uh, there's, that's what's crazy about how good these guys are is there's always that potential, too, because you don't know what lineup Brad Osmus is going to throw out there with those guys. Are they going to face the number ones? Are, I mean, what's left of the number ones? Good grief. The Angels are in shambles with all the injuries that they do have. Uh, as long as David Fletcher, I don't know how much you know about this guy watching him in Southern California, but he has become an absolute pest and just a nuisance with the at-bats. And it, I mean that in the best way. Because if he's in the lineup, there's a good chance the the Angels are going to get a hit. That being said, I think that's all we're going to do on the Houston Astros because so many good things are happening and so many more things are trying to unfold. We talked about the wild card, the way that's going to be hashed out. Who's it going to be? The Indians, the Tampa Bay Rays, or the Oakland Athletics? I don't know if you have a preference on any of those teams. If you were to, if you were the Astros, who would you want to face? I think it's kind of different with all three teams. But is there anything real briefly or off the top of your head that you think that the Astros would? have a better advantage against I mean they're better than every team in the wild card obviously and that's probably where you kind of lose like who do you want to play because I don't think it matters for the Astros but if you had an idea of who the Astros would match up best against do you have any ideas on that well I have two things one is you mentioned Fletcher with the Angels I think it's hilarious I've said this way back in the archives on the podcast as a pitcher I would much rather face a lineup (laughs) full of like Mark McGuire's and big swingers because you know they're not they're not usually that fleet of foot and if if you make your pitches, you have a chance to strike them out. You you put nine Fletchers in that lineup, and oh, brother, it's like it's high leverage from the get-go. This guy's going to bunt. He's going to slash. He's going to pull the ball. And to your point about the Angels, I just think, uh, you know, they're, they're all hands on deck as well for them with the bringing up some guys and having these new guys in. And I always try and figure this out, but I never knew if it's because I'm getting old and more distance from the game, but I'm like, who are these guys? You know, I mean, (laughs) Trout's in the lineup and Cole Calhoun. And, and after that, it's kind of like, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's because these guys are injured or it's the IL or if these are the guys that they have plans for in the future, but there's a lot of turnover with the Mariners, the angels and some of those other teams. And then back to your question about the wild card. Tim Kirkton mentioned this on ESPN last night, but I think the Twins feel like they're getting overlooked, and it would be really interesting. I mean, you gotta you gotta end up playing the Twins. I personally, being a Bay Area homer, I I, I just I never want to play the A's. That's <laughs> yeah. it. So we touched on this before. I mean, I think the Rays have probably a better pitching staff, and they can do you know kind of the low scoring games with the A's, especially the way they played in Houston at Minute Maid Park last time. Let's just stay away from the A's. Play anybody else but the A's. Yeah, because they do have the potential to slug it out a little bit. My only thing with the Oakland A's is their pitching staff. I know that the Astros can go at them, and but I don't want it to turn into a slugfest either because that wouldn't be good for anybody, especially the Astros' starting rotation. If they start to get beat around and you get to either of those bullpens, that's where all of a sudden the game gets a little sideways and you don't know how to manage some of those guys and matchups and things like that. Yeah, you want these games to be – I mean, if it's a high-scoring game, you want that to be an aberration. You know, if you're playing the Rays, you can see a 4-2, 5-2 game. If you're playing the A's and they get to Verlander or Cole, you know, with the fastball, 12-11, 10-8. I mean, I don't think those are the kind of games that the Astros want to play or anybody wants to play in the playoffs because it, you're using up too many, too many resources 
It's an excellent way of putting it because then eventually if you do move on in that series, you <laughs> you have the, the last series you played, you just got destroyed and it was a, just a fight of offenses. You don't want to have that kind of mentality going into the championship series. But that's going to do it for the Houston Astros talk. We are going to move on. Quick shout out here before we get into my favorite part of the podcast or your favorite part of the podcast. Uh, Crush City Tees is the place to go for custom H-Town baseball tees. Director garment machine. They can make your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. Crush City Tees, T E E S dot com. They provide embroidery and screen printing, design and printing in Houston. Those guys are hooking us up with our Bleacher Blums t shirts. The last three podcasts we've been wearing them, they're doing a great job. So head over to Crush City Tees. Maybe they'll even have a special uh, playoff tee for you guys over there, as well as your Bleacher Blums tees that you can wear out to the stadium. Get your Crush City tees because in the playoffs, you, there's a really good chance you're going to see me in the stands watching some of the Astros baseball with my Bleacher Blums t-shirt on, if not the one that just popped out there because Jordan Alvarez makes me a little tingly. But it is now time. Waddle, Tuttle, Say. We'll make this a uh, more interactive what'll Tuttle say. I got two topics here, but I really wanted to ask you about the first one. So I, I wrote down something last week about Tom Brady was asked about Antonio Brown and his experience in New England. And the way Tom Brady answered it was just, it's kind of the way hopefully you want to raise your kids if they're going to answer questions. I beat this, this mantra to death all the time. And it's similar to being in a relationship at home with your wife and your kids and all that. Uh, typically you have kind of a social side and then you have a very personal side. And I think as we've been in clubhouses throughout our careers, you know, the, the reason the mantra, what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse became apparent is because those, those becomes like family and very personal. And somebody asked Tom Brady what they thought about Antonio Brown and why he got released and all that stuff. And Tom Brady said, I have really strong feelings about that but I'm going to keep it to myself. I do. I, I let him stay at my house. I did these things, but it's just not for public consumption. And so I just want to know your thoughts about that. We, you and I continue to talk about people that we know in common and guys we've been in the clubhouse with, even the guys that we know, we kind of keep it surface level. You know, it's like, I, I don't, you know, I know some things about this guy. You may know some things about the guy. I don't want to know some of that stuff. I thought that was a really, he said it in such a sincere way that it let you know he was human for one and that the reporter wasn't going to wasn't going to pull anything else out of him and it just kind of it moved the topic along whereas you know we've seen so many other things i guess the cleveland browns jumped to mind so mm -hmm. rex ryan called you know baker mayfield <laughs> overrated and the next day baker mayfield's like i have thick skin but rex ryan's you know a turd and it's like well you don't have thick skin if you're going to respond to something like that so i, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on both of those things because you have experience in that realm it's tough and i appreciate the fact that uh, you know tom brady is trying to keep it in-house so to speak but it's also you know you've got to give him a little bit of credit he these are things that came out after he became a new england patriot so tom brady understanding the situation tried to take in antonio brown maybe understanding the troubled history of the situation for antonio brown and wanted to make him feel welcome wanted to bring him into the patriot way and maybe that's how the process works when you become a patriot is you've got to uh, become pretty good friends with the quarterback because he's running the show and he's been there for so many years and try and understand the culture so i think it was trying to be inclusive to begin with and then you hear the devastating news about sexual assault allegations against Antonio Brown and you all of a sudden you're like 
dang it, did I get played? Should I have done that? It's going to look bad. He's trying to protect his brand also. But at the same time, I do appreciate the fact that he just gave a solid stance on something instead of being vague about it and saying, look, this is how I handle it. It's my business. It's Antonio Brown's business. I'm not going to go any further and just shut those reporters down. And we talk about it all the time, you know, with the interviews and how some of these stories come out. You can control the narrative. And if you don't give them enough information or give them the information that the reporter wants, it stops. And they're not going to ask any more questions. But I also think that Tom Brady's created a reputation of being a no-nonsense type guy and not being overly public with his private life. So he kind of kept that between him and Antonio Brown. And to be honest, that goes well beyond the interview room. That goes into the clubhouse. So guys inside the clubhouse are going to understand that when they're with Tom Brady or if they disclose or have a conversation in private with Tom Brady, he's going to be able to hold on to it. So I think that's kind of cool in that sense. But at the same time, man, what a terrible situation this whole Antonio Brown thing has turned into. It's a tough situation for Tom Brady to be in because I believe initially in the innocence of it, he was trying to be a good teammate and try to be a good human to a guy who may have been in a tough time in his life. Yeah, no, I, I, I would. I, I mean, I completely agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, you do become family. And sometimes as guys get traded or guys move in and out of your clubhouse, as we both know, you have to accelerate the relationship, which is, you know, there's not, yeah, there's not a lot of like dating and like, Hey, you know, this first date, second date, it's like, Hey, this guy got traded over here. We want to win it quick. That's right. You got to get him into bed quick. First date, baby. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, that that is your point, right? I mean, this gets accelerated. And so you don't have all the kind of, you don't have the same timeline as other folks do to kind of get to know the person and figure it out. You kind of, you know, you accelerate this process because you feel like the person can help you win. And then, oop, you know, maybe they have some character flaws or some things that don't actually just fit in or jibe, you know, forget all the sexual assault allegations and things like that. You know, maybe he's just not a good guy or you guys just don't get along. And, you know, I don't know, but ultimately it's about winning. And I I was just, you know, going to reiterate that the way Tom Brady handled it was uh, quite impressive. Uh, the next topic is kind of it jumped out at me this week, and like I said, we already we already recorded on Tuesday, and today's Thursday, so you know just only a couple days in between. But I wanted to bring this up last time, and you know, Scott Boris is always a lightning rod for controversy. I think he was blaming wet bases on the fact that uh, Chris, yeah, wet bases on the fact that Chris Bryant is now on the DL, and that Major League Baseball has to do something with wet bases now. I just feel like, I mean, yeah, technology, this and that, but we've been playing with the same bases for a long time. And there's 18 dudes on the field at the same time that are all playing on the same bases. So, I mean, yes, they do get a little, you know, dewy probably in certain areas and a little moist. That's right. Your favorite word (laughs) and a little slippery. But, uh, you know, the dialogue around you know, blaming the bases and the grounds crew and, you know, why hasn't technology or, um, or research and development changed these bases? I mean, they've been doing it with the baseballs. I think he brought up that and we're, you know, putting up netting and we obviously make some changes, but you know, sometimes accidents happen. And I just think the fact that Chris Bryant hurt his ankle, uh, you know, right here at the end of the year, I don't know. I mean, an agent's job is to represent your client in the, in the best light. But uh, it's kind of like crying over spilled milk. I, I don't want my agent having that strong of a voice, which we know Scott does for one. But for two, like, let's not cry over wet bases, please. 
Yeah, and it's and it, it's one thing that like Tuttle is right. We have known about these bases. I mean, I broke in in 1999, and this it's the same base that they are playing with now. So I mean, 45 years ago, like I said, we've been playing with the same. It's the same base I think we had in college too. It was on all the college fields. Maybe not necessarily in high school because you know obviously budgets are a little bit different and they use some different equipment. But when I was playing in college ball, it was the same base that I played with in in the big league. So. It's been a rubberized base for a very long time. And one of the things that we do know as players is on rain, rainy games, moist games, dewy games, condensation games, whatever you want to call it, we know the bases are going to be a little bit slick. But the metal spike, I know this for a fact, the metal spike, when it gets into that base, sticks. It will not slip. The one thing that everybody does know is on those wet afternoons or nights is that the rubberized cleat that a lot of guys have, the molded bottoms, those will slip if you don't hit the bag right. And so it's a combination of the cleat, and I don't want to throw Chris Bryant under the base because maybe he did hit the base correctly. but Under the base instead of the bus, I like that. Yeah, so if you hit the base correctly on the inside corner like everybody is taught to, usually the foot will stick no matter if it's wet, dry, hot, cold, whatever. But if you get to the top of the base, the crown of the base, that's where the issue comes in, where you slip a little bit. So I don't know if the situation arose where he had to avoid a tag or get out of the way of the baseball or a position player, and he hit the top of the bag. Do you change the rules for one guy? Because I know they have changed the rules for one guy, and you're going to love this because Tuttle is a Giants fan. They changed the play at home plate because of the Buster Posey play. Now, I understand that because the guy got destroyed, and that might be an avoidable situation. But to change the bases, the the actual base material for one guy is a little interesting. There's not enough ankle injuries throughout the course of a season to dictate maybe changing that base. I'm not too sure. Maybe this podcast is now just springing up a, an R&D, a, a business development idea, which I like. Let's let's try and change the bases. That's fine. Let's patent and let's start a business where we can make new bases. But to your point, I mean, the bases have been the same for a long time. My daughter is now playing baseball. You're always teaching, all right, run straight through the bag. You know, look to the right. Okay, don't hit the top of the bag. You hit kind of the front of the bag. You're going to make a, you know, base hit. You take a turn to second, all right, you know, hit the inside part of the bag, either with your left foot or right foot, doesn't matter, but it's got to be on the corner and, you know, make a turn like you're teaching the same kind of fundamental stuff as you said at the high level a lot of these guys go for comfort i i, I wore metal spikes when i played obviously pitching is different you don't want to wear molded cleats on a on a pitching rubber but some guys are wearing turf shoes you know guys are getting kind of fancy with their shoes i don't know or not I, fancy or not fancy that's right and we <laughs> talked about that yesterday that's a little behind the scenes joke yep if nothing else Scott Boris has a lot of leverage and he has a lot of uh, high profile clients in the game of baseball. He could go behind the scenes and get this done. We've talked about humility before. We've talked about maybe getting some things done. If you really want to solve the problem, I don't think going to the front page of the paper and announcing that the bases are responsible for Chris Bryant's ankle injury is the right way to do it. You know, the agent is going to speak out. Scott Boris, obviously one of the more vocal guys out there, but I believe this day and age, the only way you're going to make money is by being on the field and staying healthy. So that is the obvious reason why an agent is going to say something. And because he is, his job is to protect that player. His job is to get that guy as much money. But in reality, the more money that player gets, the more money the agent gets. You good with Weddle Tuttle? Is that it? You nailed it? I nailed it. Those are the two topics I have. That is outstanding stuff. I love it.
we're getting even more support for the Bleacher Blums podcast, and it comes from Manscaped. They are the number one men's grooming below-the-belt company. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer, so no more of those nicks and cuts on your nuts. These guys have perfected their lawnmower 2.0. It has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag those precious jewels. And you know what? They've got a bunch of other products out there. And the one that I actually enjoyed, and I got this before the weekend, thank goodness, because we went to Kansas City, and it wasn't fall in Kansas City. It was still pretty warm. It was about 90 degrees on that day game. 90 degrees, sitting around, watching a baseball game. Gets a little moist in the nether regions, shall we say. And then I had to hop on a plane. And then I had to hop in my car, I drive home, and of course, I've been away for a while, and I want to be fresh, just in case that magic moment happens. And the Manscaped Crop Preserver is saving my junk. The anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer is a nice little pick-me-up, and they've also got some wipes in there. We also have a 20% gift code that we are going to give to you to go to manscaped.com. They are going to offer you free shipping and 20% off. With code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, at manscaped.com. Tuttle, how do you feel about this stuff? And is you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face that you're using down below. That's it. That's gross. It's nasty. Nobody wants to kiss you on the face if you're using the same trimmer upstairs and downstairs. So we do have that 20% off discount code. It's get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, at manscaped.com. Expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. All right, that means it is time for Blum and Blummer. We're going to do a quick one. I don't even know if I'm going to talk about it too much, but we kind of tongue-in-cheek talked about the Padres manager situation. If my name was brought up or if Tuttle had an opportunity to become my pitching coach, would we actually do it? It was interesting returns on that. Truth be told, I have not been approached. I don't even know if I'm on a list. I would appreciate being on the list. I would love to be on a list because I think it would be great and a lot of fun to be able to run a ball club and have an impact on what a Major League Baseball team is doing. I mean, that, that would be a ton of work. And I also know in just getting an interview would be incredible. But the prep that would go into having an interview with a big league club about a managerial spot would be unreal. I know the prep would probably take me a good week, month, trying to understand the rules and how organizations work, doing the, doing the research to understand players like that. But it was just a lot of fun to think about. And hopefully in the next couple of days, we'll get some news that will explain that I I may not be leaving Houston anytime soon. I don't want to give it away too quick because some things need to be ironed out. But my goal, ultimately, truth be told, is to get my girls through high school in Houston. That is the primary goal. It's all about my family. That's why we moved to Houston. That's why we're grateful for Houston. And I'm also grateful to be broadcasting for such a phenomenal team in a phenomenal era. So, no. I'm not going anywhere, but man, I love entertaining the idea of just having the conversation about being in one of those meetings or being in one of those interview type processes to become a major league manager. I think it would be fascinating. You just lost your interview. <laughs> no, no. no, I know. I know exactly what you're laying down here and I, and I appreciate that. And I think what the fun part about it would be is we know some big league managers, obviously personally and professionally. I think the fun part about it would be to kind of 
put in that time because all these things that we theorize on the podcast and all these conversations that we've had like behind the scenes and not just you and I, but that you have as ball players. I wonder what the transition would be like and how could I run a ball club and how how dialed in could I be on the chemistry of my ball club? And then and then how much leverage would I have or how much say-so would I have? We've joked about Aaron Boone in New York having an analyst in the hallway there with an iPad <laughs> like talking about shifts and um, mm-hmm. tendencies and things like that. Like how much actual um, meddling, for lack of a better word, is there when you're when you're in charge of the ball club? But I think that would be probably the fun part more so than actually taking the job and traveling and setting the lineup every day would be like, all right, I got my nine dudes. And not to criticize Aaron in terms of having the Yankees, no. but yeah. but when they have a payroll the way they do, I mean, their lineup's kind of set, right? It's <laughs> You still have to manipulate it. I mean, savages or not, you got to manipulate the lineup and you got to keep him healthy because he's had a lot of, um, you know, uh, IR issues this year. So that, that's, I said, I'm not diminishing what he's done. I'm just saying getting a ball club like that when they say, all right, we have these seven or these nine guys under contract. This is our closer. This is our leadoff hitter. It would really be up pushing the right buttons and strategizing or theorizing. And I think that would be a, a fun opportunity for you. But I know that's that's kind of a distant dream or a distant thought, but I think that would actually be the fun part. The process would be amazing because all of us have fantasized or all of us are armchair quarterbacks or armchair GMs, armchair managers. So I think that's where the fun kind of and the curiosity has peaked for us. I agree with you in that sense, but we're all trying to learn and get better. Just imagine if you were moving from the cubicle to the corner office, that's what it would be like for for a lot of us in that facet, in that fantasy world of becoming a major league manager and having the enjoyment of actually working with an organization organization in that way. But that's all I've got for Blum and Blummer because I want to move on to the next segment that's going to be interesting for us and new to this podcast heading into the football season. It's something we've kind of tossed around. It's it's Tuttle's segment again. This is the brains behind the operation because I'm kind of a novice in this situation and that's kind of also the reason why I want to bring it to the forefront because I want to learn a little bit more. I want to put myself on the line and see how it goes. But this is a big segment for you, Tuttle. We're going to call it Don't Bet On It. Don't bet on it. We've been teasing it for a while. Uh, The problem is the way you just set it up is challenging for me in that I'm no expert. That's the beauty of it, though, isn't it? And I think it is. I I, I don't want to be, you know, there's sharps and squares. I don't want to be a square in betting. And I've done fairly well in my little NFL pool with my buddies in terms of betting every game against the spread. Like I said, we do it with uh, Monopoly money or a pool type money where you just throw in a little bit of money at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year, whoever's ahead. But if you're 60% or 65%, you're doing some damage when you're betting all those games. For me, my philosophy, we've touched on it a little bit before. I'm going to call it don't bet on it because wink, wink, you guys aren't supposed to take my advice and bet on it. But I have kind of two philosophies. I always, I, I always, I shouldn't say that. I often like to take the points especially in the NFL because those teams, the parity is really high and the margin for error is, is a lot less. But I also like to fade the public. So when everybody thinks that this is the way the game is going to go, and I think betters who listen to this podcast, if we have any, will understand the public or the squares tend to bet on like Dallas and New England when we're talking about the NFL. So I'm going to just throw out three games every week that I enjoy or that look good to me. I'm going to start with one college game and two NFL games this week. So the first game that I like is Indiana. This is uh, the college game. Indiana plus 14 versus Michigan State. Now Michigan State lost kind of a close game to Arizona State. Controversial calls. And then last week against Northwestern, they won by, I don't know, like 31 points or something like that. 
And I just think this week they're giving up 14 points against Indiana. Granted, the game's at Michigan State. I just, again, Michigan State's kind of on a roll. They're ranked top 25. I just like two touchdowns for Indiana. I think they can keep it close. They're three and one in the Big Ten. But as I said before, I can throw out all the statistics and mm-hmm. say, hey, they're three and one and Michigan State's three and one and they've had some close games. That that's not why I picked the game. Where does that vibe come from? Just experience or is it just something you've seen? Where do you get that? Yeah, I just yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I I don't know. I don't know. It comes from my big toe, as far as I know. Oh, Sergeant and Hulka's in on Sar- the boat. Sergeant Hulka. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just I like getting points, and when I see two touchdowns in a in a rivalry game, it's not a rivalry game. That's not fair to say, but in a in a conference, conference game yeah. with two teams that have a a good record, and I always feel like. Give me the team that has something to prove with a chip on their shoulder versus the team like Michigan State that may overlook a team like Indiana and two touchdowns. Remember, they don't have to win the game. You know, just keep it close. Well, that's a good point because you're right. Indiana is actually off to a great start. They've had some highlights that you've seen if you're watching SportsCenter. So why not? And I haven't, to be honest, I haven't been impressed with what Michigan State's actually gone out there and done with some of the wins that they've had. So there's your first bet. That's right, my first bet. And the other thing is just to kind of to finish that point with Michigan State, Lord. Berkey is their quarterback, and he has been there for quite some time. He's been up and down as well, and I think the spread usually reflects that because they're trying to, as I said before, get the bets on you know equal on both sides. Anybody that watched Michigan State last week, they looked awesome. And that's always another, that's something that I try and shy away from. It's like nobody thought they would score 31 points last week. They scored against Northwestern because Northwestern is a defensive team and they play those 16 to 10, like 14 to 7 games. So the fact that they scored 31 last week gives everybody like, oh, Michigan State, they finally figured it out. And so certainly fading the public or going against popular opinion that, you know, that guy's got to put up a couple weeks in a row for me to kind of just buy into what they're doing there. And is that a bigger payout if you're able to go against the public and you end up winning? Not a bigger payout. Yeah, I mean, that that's usually 50-50 payout. Okay. I'm just saying if you were going to go money line, it is for okay. sure. Okay. Right. But you still just want the points. And, I, you know, yep. Michigan State fans are all going to go, oh, we're all over this. We're going to crush Indiana. Look at how we played last week. And so that's what pushes the spread the other way. Mm-hmm. But the payout's no bigger. But I like taking Indiana plus the points, obviously. But I like the idea of points, too, just being a novice part-time, you know, phony money gambler type, it's easier to bet the points too. And it's a lot more fun to watch those ball games and understand the point uh, differential and how that, you know, how it works towards the end of the ball game. And I feel like that leads into our next game since I know you're a Charger fan. And it's funny, I still write down the San Diego Chargers, but uh, obviously (laughs) the LA Chargers are giving uh, 16 and a half points to Miami. Now everybody knows Miami's tanking the whole season. They're 0-3. They're getting boat raced every week. And guess what? They're getting 16 and a half points in the NFL. Well, I'm not going to give you statistics again, but we know that West Coast teams, San Francisco 49ers, L.A. Rams, L.A. Chargers, all those teams do not travel well to the East Coast. This will be an East Coast game in Miami. Granted, the weather won't be a factor probably. Well, it'll probably still be warm and humid. But uh, yeah, but to your point with them traveling, it says it's going to be a one o'clock game. Mm-hmm. Just translate the three-hour time difference. That's These right. guys are going to be playing a football game at eleven a.m. That's yeah. how I look at it sometimes too. Yeah. Well, that three-hour would be ten a.m., wouldn't it? Ten a.m. Sorry, yeah. ten a.m. Even worse. Yeah, right. And 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 there are statistics that back all of that up. 
So and look at how the Chargers have played the last few weeks. They barely beat Indianapolis the first week. They give up points. Yeah, they're not afraid to give up points. So if even if that game is, let's say it's well in hand, it's like twenty-one or twenty-eight to seven with not a lot of time left. Obviously, a touchdown there, maybe 28-13 sounds mm-hmm. like a good score to me. So, anyway, just I, again, it's, it's the points. It's an NFL team. They've got professional players, so now we're outside the college realm. I just like Miami plus 16 and a half to keep the game close. They can still be 0 and 4, just keep the game close. And like I said, this is just a feeling I have. That's a lot of points as you know in the NFL. Well, and I feel like a two touchdown lead in football, technically, I mean, that's a blowout. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I know it takes two scores and they're back in the ball game, but I feel like 14 points is a pretty good spread between two, like Tuttle is saying, two professional football teams, even though Miami is really trying to accrue draft picks and not put up a lot of points. Yeah. And then you got to put it to the personal pride, like Josh Rosen's trying to prove something, isn't he? I would hope. I mean, now that they got him in there, it's, it's only his second year. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole nother podcast. Because, I mean, you know, we're just take, for instance, this week with the Astros playing the Angels. Those guys that are playing for the Angels, they're playing for their their careers. They're playing to make an impression and stay in the big league. So even though the teams might be tanking like the Miami Dolphins, those guys are trying to put up numbers. They're they're trying to establish their career. There There is effort on that side. They just may not be as talented as the team across the way. You know, when they say tanking, I always look at tanking like a GM kind of a overall philosophical maybe theory about what the organization is trying to do. I don't think the individual players are in on the meeting where they go, all right, we're tanking. I think there was an article yesterday, and please forgive me for going uh, English Premier League soccer, but wow. uh, Man- Man- wow. Manchester United hasn't won like an English Premier League championship in 10 or 12 years. They admitted yesterday philosophically that they were trying to rebuild, which to the fan base, I'm like, what? That you can never rebuild. You're one of the most storied franchises, but they actually, it was kind of like this undercover investigation that said, yes, we're. So again, tanking is not something that the 76ers would publicly announce in basketball and not something the Dolphins would publicly announce. And those players are not privy to the tanking theory. They may not have the players around them. No, that's the best point. I think, like Tuttle is saying, that the franchise may have the idea of not fielding a team that is as good as they believe it can be but the players on the field they're going out if they're not given 100 percent, they're playing all hard because their reputation and careers are on the line absolutely all right and then game number three is an nfl game as well and this one has nothing to do with the amount of points in the spread this is just that everybody's on the mahomes bandwagon kansas city kansas city versus detroit is six and a half i'm going to take detroit plus six and a half kansas city's going to detroit so i love home underdogs Detroit's 2-0-1. Now, granted, a lot of people have a memory from opening week. They were up 18-3 to or something like that, or 21-3 to on Arizona, and ended up tying that game. They did not look good. Matt Patricia did not wear that one well, but they're still 2-0-1. They looked really good beating the Eagles last week. I think they'll keep it close. Mahomes, that Mahomes show travels. I mean, don't get me wrong. They'll put up 40 yeah. points, and that's what'll scare everybody. Everyone's like, oh, this is a lock. We'll take Kansas City. Ooh, yeah. That's going to be like 40-20, to but guess what Stafford at home he's got some weapons Patricia's a defensive minded guy that's just going to be a close game I can see that game and listen to me now I'm throwing out like score predictions I can see that game being like 28-24 something like that 31-28 and uh and we'll see how it goes folks like I said this is the first time that we're doing this segment don't bet on it on this uh Bleacher Blums podcast I probably won't have to go as in-depth to my like why my toe says I should do this or why I feel like this <laughs> But uh, you'll get a sense of what I like to bet on and, you know, how I think th- things will go. And uh, 
we'll see how it goes next week. And you guys can shout at me on Twitter at Real David Tuttle. If I lose you a bunch of money or win you a bunch of money, I'd love to hear about it. Just make sure you're betting that funny money because we just want to have fun and talk about it. I think it's intriguing to be able to understand these numbers and throw some of those bets out there. Uh, you know, to Tuttle's point with the Chiefs, uh, they've given up 26, 10, and 28 points. So they do give up some points as far as the Chiefs are concerned, but they have the firepower to overwhelm some of the other teams. I think that was a lot of fun. I think it was a great segment to bring in, and I think it's fun that we get to do this all together because, again, Tuttle has a better idea than I do. I'm learning the whole situation, but it's kind of fun to dig on the numbers and try and understand them a little bit better total nice work on this brief podcast good hanging out with you man face to face awesome to see you man and again all first responders and military we love you guys we appreciate everything you're doing for us to allow us to come out here and put these podcasts out here and talk a little bit about sports because sports has been a great thing for the community who enjoys being distracted a little bit and why not throw a little bit of that funny money down and be distracted by it and have some fun and talk a little trash with your buddies fantasy football this week T.Y. Hilton for us quad injury might be in there but I've already reached into our uh, team and I've put in josh jacobs how do you feel about that as our flex guy tuttle i'm okay with that yeah i mean i'd rather have a healthy yeah i'd rather have a healthy josh jacobs than a you know like a a gimpy ty hilton in there i guess we could have emmanuel sanders and a couple other guys but i'm I, i like i like the what the young raiders are doing it's funny you just brought out the chiefs They've given up 28, 10, and 28. The 10 they gave up was to the Raiders, which is, yep. you know, the Raiders' offense has been quite anemic. But I think they have a good they have a good shot this week to uh, to do something. And you know that their offense will revolve around Waller, uh, our tight end, and Josh Jacobs. Yes, it will. It's been a great week, big week finishing off this season. So next time we get at you, it will be the end of the regular season. There will be wild card matchups. We'll have to wait and see how many wins the Astros end up throughout the course of the season with four games less left here in Anaheim. And that's going to do it for us here in the bleachers. It's time to clean this place out and shut it down. Thanks for hanging with us. Oh, yeah. Get after it and believe it. through